0: dearest listener welcome to a bridgerton podcast a weekly show dissecting the bridgerton family and the ongoings of the rest of the ton presented by mr ben butler and the right honorable robbie christmas may god have mercy on your souls Thank you a lot to uh, Lord Whistledown for that lovely intro. I'm not sure if you can say thank you a lot. Normally you say thank you or, or thanks a lot, but I guess that's something that we can we can say for, for this episode. How are you, Robbie? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you a lot. Thank you a lot. What's been going on?
1: Well, um, just uh, kind of missing doing this with you, missing Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. We've been getting some... Uh, some uh, I can't say press PR is probably not the right word for it, but we did get some shout outs. We got a little
0: bit of recognition on the um, Bridgerton subreddit this week. That was very exciting. Uh, yes, I'm I'm not on Reddit, but you sent me the link, and uh, yeah, there was one redditor in particular who's who listened to every one of our episodes and gave us like lovely and detailed notes, um, yep. which was incredible. Yep. Um And then people, uh, apart from me, have uh, reviewed the epi- the podcast on uh apple podcast as well which is exciting i saw that that was very cool i actually just went back the other day and was looking through the the notes um all what is it five stars all five stars um and the people do have um i think one of them might be like marty something and has a bunch of letters and numbers so like they do seem like spam accounts that i've set up but i can assure you that they were not and that they 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 weren't set up by me um so you or someone else has been reviewing the podcast so thank you to to them for that yeah Yeah, I mean, I'll take it spam or real. I don't care. Once it's positive spam, um, you know, every so often I get those message requests in my uh, inbox DMs and it it just brightens up my day. Uh, Normally they're trying to, you know, get me in on some, on the ground floor of some business opportunity and sometimes I'm open to it. Apparently the theory for spam emails being so terrible is that they are like deliberately bad. Like the fact that they have all the, um, misspellings and stuff in them is a, a tactic so that like only the people who actually reply like have demonstrated that they are really dumb um, and it's actually like quite a good filter for um, spam or scammers to, hmm. to work. Hmm. Um, but we're not here to today to talk about Nigerian princes. We're here to talk about princes uh, and lords and dukes of... Uh, Honestly,
1: that was like the best transition you could have possibly done. That I see you, that grin on your face too. You were <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was very happy with it. Um and this isn't even scripted. Like normally I d- sometimes I do script these, but this one was just um off the off the dome. Yeah. Um but yeah, here we're we're here this week to talk about uh, a topic that, you know, when you mentioned Bridgerton, it's one of the first things that um that comes up the the, the sex the sex the sexual side <laughs> of uh uh of the show. And it's something that you and I have touched on, um, but you know, as our uh, you know, christian repressed childhoods may have um you know made an impact on i think we we're kind of like skirting and flirting around it a little bit mm-hmm. um so this week uh we've brought on a, a special guest um who um is i would say an expert uh in in this world and i i say i say an expert like is an expert that isn't just uh, um a title that, that i've given her but uh hanine uh, is the founder of uh the Sex Homework Society. Uh, She is a former lawyer who um, found a a different calling Um, and as a like potential lawyer myself, I can definitely resonate with uh, not being a lawyer. Um, And uh, uh, Haneen is a a friend and someone whose opinion on this uh, I I think is fantastic. So uh, I'm really excited for us to have uh, Haneen on the show today. Hanin, welcome to uh, our Bridgerton podcast.
2: Hey, Ben and Robbie. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to talk about my favorite topic ever.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for joining. Um, this is something you you, you do, Hanin, like um, talking about um, sex and intimacy and, and coaching people uh, to, I, I guess, um, explore um, themselves and, and, their, and their world. Um, I'm curious as to your take on, shows like Bridgerton like obviously it's great that um, shows like this particularly shows that are focused on and like a traditionally kind of repressed time where we think of this period we think of Jane Austen and we think of um, you know accompanied walks with a chaperone and maybe you might get to you know hold hands uh, through gloves with your love interest this definitely uh, like turns that on its head but I guess with all portrayals of uh, of intimacy um, on TV, I think there might be some things that that aren't so ideal. But I guess uh, as a sort of a, a kicking off point, like how would you rate Bridgerton's portrayal of sex as as compared to maybe other TV shows of, of its type?
2: Yeah, great question to kick off with. Um, so I, I'd say it's a mixed bag for me because I think it's what I love about the show is that it depicts a lot of um, sex and intimacy from the female perspective or a feminist view. Um and I and I say that because it really highlights the time double standard that women um face and do still face um when it comes to expressing their sexuality. Um and I think there are definitely moments which we'll dig into in the podcast where I feel like there's an inaccurate depiction of sort of female pleasure, um, but it also brings in some really interesting points around desire and arousal. Um, There's a sexual assault scene, um, which will be really interesting to pick apart because consent is a huge topic even now. Um, So I think on the whole, um, I found it really interesting from a sex education point of view as well and the sort of naivety that... um, that all the women seem to have around their, around sex, the birds and the bees, and not having a single clue about what that's, what that is, Um, which to me just didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't buy into that. I didn't find that realistic because surely like women masturbate and are curious during puberty, you've got all the hormones and they'll eventually just explore themselves. So it felt a little bit, I don't know if insulting is the word, but women that Daphne's kind of Un, like blossoming of herself was inspired by a man, and he taught her to masturbate and she thought of him and then she had her first orgasm through that experience so that that felt like a little bit um uh, i guess inaccurate
0: yeah that 's super interesting i I't want to dig into all of that, but i guess for uh for robbie for and the the rest of our uh our audience who mightn't be as familiar with with you and and the work that that you do i guess could you tell us a bit about what you do and what what life is like as a sex coach
2: yeah um so as a sex coach a lot of people might be under the impression that i teach them just how to have better sex how to orgasm more amazingly how to have better sex positions um i think it goes so much deeper than that so the work that i do is primarily around how to be unashamedly yourself in the bedroom which i think translates to life generally as well like how you turn up in the bedroom is how you turn up in life um it's how you relate to triggers it's how you show up in your relationship to pleasure so i i focus in on boundaries uh communication consent um how to ask for what you want um how to really be the, how to be in ownership of your sexual self, understand what your turn ons and your turn-offs are. And rather than being kind of reliant on a sexual partner to give you that sort of sexual self-worth, we, we start from, from the self, develop intimacy with the self. Um, and honestly, I think that has beautiful ramifications across all areas of our life, our professional life, our social life. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, a sort of package of what I do in my, in my course that I offer at Sex Homework Society.
1: Hanin, what would you say is, what drew you to this profession in the first place? And my second question is, what is the most um, rewarding aspect of it?
2: Mm, such a great question. So what drew me to this is I had a particularly repressed like background with my sexuality. And I would say that sexuality for me is more about eroticism and vitality. And I felt like a lot of that was... Removed from my childhood, there was a lot of like, you, ha- you can't be too much, or you have to be self sufficient. You don't be too loud. Don't be too too this, too that. You're too much this, and I think there was a sense of rebellion that came from that, very much like Bridgerton, I suppose, in many ways. How people um, kind of want to do what's not allowed. Um, so when I was a lawyer, I kind of felt the sense of. Um, that my autonomy was taken from me, that I wasn't a robot, that I was living this life that I didn't really feel in alignment with me. And I constantly wanted to disrupt the paradigm. For me, there was a sense of, I wanted to have power over myself. That felt really important to have freedom. And I found that in sex. I found that when I was in the bedroom, I could totally explore myself in this way that was completely uninhibited because somehow moving my body um, felt... I felt I had more permission in the bedroom than in anywhere else in my life, and I think that sense of empowerment translated to like to how I spoke to people and where I found, yeah, my sense of freedom. And I think it was only a matter of time before I sort of decided to make it my career and uh, translate that passion into delivering education for others to feel just as empowered. So, to me, the fact that clients can see an impact that extends beyond their sex life is so exciting for me. And it's also where I can kind of give them uh, inject play into their life. Like play is incredibly important to me. And I think so many people turn up to sex with this sort of sense of like rigidity and seriousness and like I have to be sexy. And I invite them to like play with the imagination and creativity and to get it wrong and to laugh about it. And I think that translates to shaking like it, it, it translates to an somatic level for them to like let go and just be themselves and not constantly be analyzing and being in our heads so i love seeing that transformation in clients that to me is brings me a lot of joy
1: <laughs> i love that now ben you have told me
0: about the sex homework society before mm-hmm. yeah i think like the work that hanin does is uh is really excellent and if people go to sex dot you can take a look at the uh the offerings that um that she has going on there um i like i i would love to dive more into this but i guess as the name of Forbidden podcast suggests we should probably talk about um the the show um and there's a bunch of things that 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 i want to dive in but i guess one thing from the outset and you mentioned it in your intro was um there's an element of um consent that um you know apart from all these elements that i think go into consent which you know are are communication and education which are which are lacking there's a a particular scene um that um generated a lot of um debate online um where uh daphne um sexually assaults uh or rapes i'm not sure on the exact terminology um but um continues uh, having sex with Simon despite his protestations to uh, to stop. Um, and I was curious as to your take on, um, well, and Robbie and I chatted about this like, during the episode, like, well, there's a larger element of consent and, and questions to be going on. Like, in that particular act, um, it seems that Daphne is acting poorly. And I'd be curious as to your take on that particular episode. And I guess also, like, what are good things to know about consent and how can we uh, empower people uh, in this sort of situation to be aware of, I guess, their consent and and how um, they can make good decisions in what can be a quite scary uh, situation.
2: Yeah, great. Thank you, Ben, for drawing attention to that scene because I feel like there's so much to dive into uh, with that particular episode. Um, So the, the first observation I had was that on the outset, that scene doesn't look like a typical rape scene, which is, I think, half the problem. Like, there doesn't seem to be any particular backlash from Simon, for example, afterwards about that, the fact that that was inherently non-consensual. He didn't want to ejaculate in her and yet she was pinning him down and it was so clear from his face. was a sense of, like, like hurt or anger. Um, and yet she persevered. And I think perhaps it's because we just don't talk enough about male rape as well and we don't associate men Uh, as being victims of sexual assault. So, um, I think one of the important things I want to draw out from that scene is just how common sexual assault is, though, in existing relationships. Like, we often think of rape or sexual assault as taking place by a stranger in a bush somewhere, but it happens more often in relationships where couples are already sort of start off consenting, and then it might be that later down the line, Consent is withdrawn and it it then turns into, into some form of sexual assault. So um, that's the first point I want to make about consent is consent is ongoing. At, it's reversible at any point, just because you've started having a consent, it doesn't mean that you have to keep going. Um, the second point I want to give about consent is that it has to be uh, freely given uh, so At no point did Simon kind of freely give his consent to ejaculate inside of her. He definitely wasn't informed of her intention to to ejaculate um, and not specifically for that either. So basically, just because we have signs of arousal, for example, for women, it would be lubrication and for men, uh, an erection, doesn't give an indication of that person's consent. So there is a difference between arousal and desire. And arousal is that kind of physical manifestation of being turned on, and desire is the actual brain saying, "I really want to have sex with you." Um, and it's—I can imagine much harder for people to think, "Oh, well, like men just want sex," and that's this, this whole narrative that um, we we think. Um, but actually, there's a lot of shame for men to to kind of admit that they have been sexually assaulted. So I think that's a really important point to to mention. Um, the other thing or the other kind of uncomfortable truth I wanted to draw out from this was asking people who are perhaps listening on this podcast whether they've ever felt that they've overridden somebody's consent or feelings either in a sexual or non-sexual situation because I think if you've ever continued sexual exploration even though you could see that your partner wasn't completely comfortable um and we've probably all done it I think there are sort of um, spectrums of boundary violations that happen in relationships all the time. Um, and so it, it's increasingly important for us to educate ourselves about what consent actually is and to practice it in every aspect of our life. None of us learnt to consent properly. Um, we don't come from a, a, like a very consensual society. Um, and we're probably all victims and perpetrators to, on different levels. Um, so my advice would be to get consent trained go to workshops learn that consent can be really sexy and it can create a really safe container to play more deeply with somebody Um, practice your boundaries make it a part of your everyday life but also get education educated on like the sexual response cycle the genital response cycle Um, I think all of that can really help us to to kind of ensure that we don't allow this sort of dynamic to happen with our partners
0: cool that was super helpful thank you um and yeah something that Robbie and I had touched on and i think fans had been sort of uh divided on um and i don't think anyone was necessarily like truly against it saying that it wasn't right but i think your point around the education is kind of the lacking element there in terms of like this isn't what we imagine um rape to be and the show kind of does gloss over it, uh, a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, it was really helpful to get that, um, like overview from you. And I think like, like non-concordance as a concept is, is super important for people to think about. Um, and, uh, so yeah, thanks a lot. Are there specific things or elements of consent that, um, are good for people to to know?
2: Yeah. Firstly, I'd point them to Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent to get informed about consent generally. I think her framework is just incredible. Um, So you can do that on bettymartin.com, I believe it's her website. But um, as a quick reference point, I like to use the acronym um, FRIES, F-R-I-E-S, when you're thinking about the elements of consent. So the first um, letter F stands for freely given. So consent needs to be freely given. Um, It needs to be... Reversible. Um I stands for informed, so this idea that we kind of understand uh what's how would you put it? Um for example, if we're if we're applying it to bridgerton um what's his name again? Simon. Simon. Simon would need to know that she's planning to ejaculate inside him, for example. So this idea of informed consent. Um, E would stand for enthusiastically, which clearly Simon wasn't and S stands for specifically. So, um, in this case, the specifics of this was that he didn't want her to ejaculate inside her and it was, and she did that purposely, which therefore constituted, uh, assault. So yeah, I think that's a handy framework for people thinking about the elements of consent.
1: When you're watching, um, a show like this, I'm sure there's gotta be moments where you just want to yell at the TV. And it sounds like from what you were talking about earlier, one of the, the, the big ones is this idea that the only reason that Daphne knows how to masturbate is because a man told her and taught her how to do that. um, Which just, I think is, is so interesting to, like, it's one of those things that, like, like, the second you said it, I was like, yeah, how come I didn't notice that before, right? Which is just, like, an example of, like, just being uninformed and now that you now that I'm seeing it with that lens I'm thinking okay well what else have I missed um, when I'm watching the show if you were sitting in a room with those two what would be the first thing that you would say like what would what would you say they're doing right and what would you say that they could be doing better at
2: hmm the, the first one that caused me the most angst and is one I'm particularly passionate about is communication. Um, I think it's the bedrock of rel- good relationships and a good sex life. And it is not role modeled well at all in the series. I think at the point where Daphne found out of Simon's betrayal, I think what she could have done was take a time out for herself to regulate her nervous system to calm down and then approach Simon about it rather than being like, fuck you, Simon, I'm going to rape you instead. So yeah. um, I feel, yeah, a sense of eye rolling, I suppose, when I think about how films and TV always do this with communication. It's never particularly well role model. So my, um, I think the first thing I would tell them is how to have a good conversation, how to have those difficult conversations. Um, And to me, that involves um, having an understanding of, this is gonna sound a little bit geeky, but our nervous systems because what causes people to get into loops of unhealthy communication is when they decide to talk, when they're in fight and flight mode, right. When they're feeling reactive and defensive and they're not actually taking in anything of what the other person is saying, right. It's all um, coming, coming from a really deeply triggered place. And so it surprised me how long it took for them to actually get to that place where they felt able to have that safety and kind of vulnerable and authentic communication it took them quite a few I don't know days but yeah that would be my first point is on that is on the communication the second one would be around teaching Daphne how to really be aware of her own sexual needs and desires there's a point in the ep- in an episode where she says or he sorry there's a point where Simon asks her tell me what you want and she goes She had this look look of, I don't know. And she just ends up saying you. And I think this is a really common thing that happens in the bedroom. A lot of us don't know what we desire and what we want. And my biggest advice is, you know, explore yourself, take that time out for self-pleasure to really understand what you like and what you don't like. There's something so sexy about someone being like specific about what they desire. Um, I think it's a real myth that it's a buzzkill if someone's like, I want you to do this, this, and this. To me, I think it's really erotic um and yeah teach her to feel empowered with that because I think the show definitely depicts this kind of dependency that she has on Simon to show her what's pleasurable so the other thing I would sit down and talk to uh, Simon and Daphne about are uh, attachment styles which I'm sure they weren't aware of in the 1800s um but effectively it seems like Simon was illustrating signs of like an avoidant attachment style, right? At the beginning, he plays this kind of aloofness. uh, He's very withdrawn uh, and doesn't want to get too close. Whereas you see Daphne trying to vie for his attention. um, And she has this kind of uh, constant need for affirmation potentially. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic that many kind of couples get themselves into um i think it's really fascinating how anxious and avoidant people end up together i mean there are many reasons why that happens one of them is that they mistake that hot and cold kind of dynamic for excitement and passion and they mistake and and so in doing that they think oh wow this is really exciting we should be together but that's not sustainable over the long term in reality if you're with someone who had a secure attachment style Things might feel a little boring to begin with, um, but it's the bedrock for healthier conversations. Um, I think when you get into that anxious avoidant loop, um, you can can see that in how their communication is with each other, actually, in the show. Um, A lot of stuff is unsaid. There's a lot of assumptions and stories that each side starts to create for themselves. And it's not until they come together and they realize, oh oh, you like me as well. Yes, I do. And it's, you know, and I think that can happen so much more quicker if they maybe had an awareness of what their attachment style was. And in knowing that, they can perhaps be a bit more sort of pre, uh, proactive in asking for their needs. Saying, look, I'm I'm feeling a sense of insecurity and I'd love to have some reassurance about where you stand on X, Y, Z. Um, so I'd say that's another, yeah, <laughs> little insight I would give to our Simon and Daphne.
0: That's like super interesting and helpful. And I think like having read Attached, I think it's one of those books that if I could distribute a copy to everyone in the world, I would like to, or at least just an awareness of what attachment styles are. And you spoke to it there in terms of, I think the book calls it the the anxious and avoidant trap where like the those archetypes do get attracted to each other because they um, like it creates this like kind of fierce bond and then this like pull back and then this like bond again and it becomes this kind of Robbie and I, I think we're talking about we we're, we were I think it's fair to to maybe categorize Simon and Daphne's relationship as a sort of trauma bond kind of relationship at least a sort of toxic one to some extent Um, and you're right in that like in, in a we've been told that that's what romance is and you know at the time of records like Valentine's Day is is very closely approaching and that's all sort of tied up to that as well in terms of romance is about a spark and grand gestures and push and pull and all these kind of things and but to your point I I think like it can be so much sexier if you have communication in terms of like like I find it insane that there's that scene where Simon and Daphne on their wedding night are in the uh inn and they both love each other but without the knowledge that the other person loves them they both think they're the only person who actually like isn't in a ruse and I find it insane that like you could love someone without the knowledge that like that person might like you too it's sort of irrelevant they're both in this kind of like journey or like passion or vying for each other and a big trope in Bridgerton that Robbie and I have talked about is no character communicates well and they just project onto you know, whoever happens to be standing in front of them and they are like, just can't get out of their own heads. And maybe that is somewhat historically accurate because people didn't have self-awareness 200 years ago, but I am worried about engendering those things as, as positives. And like what you're saying, like you can have passion filled, sexy, fun relationships, and that can be made more so with communication. It just makes things easier. Um, And maybe the graph of it isn't as, like, high-low, but it's a gentle gradient that, like, just kind of continues forever. And you see glimpses of this in the final episode where somehow through the magic of dancing in the rain, Simon and Daphne have sort of figured it out and have sort of seemed to become a bit more secure. Like, he makes this final overture at the end where... Uh, you know, Daphne's given birth, he's right in there beside her, which is a contrast to how his father was. And Simon's like, oh, we have to call the son something beginning with A, which is a nice little like olive branch into a Bridgerton family tradition. And like, you see them getting there. The problem is, is like, it's like, oh, like, it's terrible. Then they fuck a lot, like dot, 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 like happiness. And I think that's concerning. Um, So I'd be curious to hear from you, Hanin, like, there's a lot of things that are are shown in Bridgerton but there's a lot of things that aren't shown as well um I, I'm curious like in terms of like what is going on between the scenes that we we don't see and what's the power or effect of the things that we don't see in the show
2: mm, yeah great question I think the first thing that comes to mind is the depiction of sex um what's not shown I feel in that in the series is that first-time sex, for example, it can be incredibly clunky. In fact, sex generally, um, it feels like it's perpetuating this one style of very performative, male-driven, initiated sex that's very much one rhythm, hard, fast, and the pull-out method. And it's just all, it doesn't feel like it necessarily captures the wider repertoire of what sex um, can be like.
0: Um, and you mentioned earlier... Um... One of the good things of the show is the like the female gaze or some idea like we're depicting pleasure in some of the scenes from like the female point of view, and that is nice, I guess, from the standard um, Hollywood slash porn POV, which is very much like from the, the male perspective. Um, but I would warrant a guess that maybe the depiction of even though the camera is in the right place in terms of depicting women's ple- depicting women's pleasure the actual pleasure that they're depicting might necessarily be fully accurate or fully representative. I'd be curious as to your take on how women's pleasure is depicted into the show and then the sex education that exists slash big lack of sex education that that exists, particularly for for the female characters in, in Bridgerton.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll start with that because yeah, I feel like Watching that series, I feel so happy that we've come so far in terms of our sex education, although a lot kind of it is misinformed. Um, yeah, I feel it's really a mis- imbalanced, firstly. I don't feel um, it sort of perpetuates that masculine feminine divide of men are all out chasing women and have really explored their sexuality and women are like overwhelmingly naive about their sexuality. Um and I think in actual fact, the way we discover ourselves is very different. Like women um, often associate kind of their pleasure and masturbation more socially and it's very more context dependent. Um, whereas men go through puberty and discover themselves mainly through um, direct genital contact, right? Because that's that's how that, that happens for them.
0: Is that, and just like we learn from our environment and they learn to um associate sexual pleasure with things and that's how it's built or or what do you mean by that
2: yeah so females take their cues from what's what feels sexually good um mainly through emotions i find because i don't think we are inherently um it's not like we're presented with an extent like with with a penis, it's far more obvious, right, when you're turned on. With women, it's a lot more subtle. So I I don't know if I can give a personal account, but the way I discovered my, my, my sort of sexuality was looking at films and being turned on by that and associating women's um, like romantic stories with sex. And so my concept of arousal is really tied up with my emotions because I was turned on through con through the context that i was in as opposed to where men are uh, um more spontaneously um aroused so it kind of it speaks to this idea that women experience a lot more responsive desire versus men who experience spontaneous desire and what i mean by that is that um women feel uh w- women kind of need a bit of uh warming up before they feel uh sufficiently aroused to get into sex. Um and often there's this expectation because of patriarchy, because men are so spontaneously turned on that women should also be like that. Um and in actual fact there are some men who also re- experience responsive desire. Um and I think that's not really shown very much uh in 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 film and TV. I think the way that the sex gene, sex scenes are portrayed in Bridgerton, um, it's very much all really hot and bothered and instantly like pee in the V penis in the vagina, um, scenes. And I think I would just challenge that a little bit and just to give people that reassurance that they're not broken if they're not experiencing desire straight away, right? That it takes a lot of time for the body to warm up into these things, particularly for women, as I say, because it's so context dependent.
1: It'll be interesting to see what direction they take the second season in, um, because, I feel like before this show came out, there was a lot of hype around it. And, and at least in the very beginning, a lot of people were talking about the expectations of the, how heavy it would, um, how sex heavy it was going to be. The depiction of sex and the scenes and, and that's what has made headlines is, is how, um, how much they show these characters having sex. It seems like they kind of miss an opportunity with all the information that we have out there and with all the resources we have with people like you, it seems like they could take it in a very different direction. So it'll be interesting to see um, what they do with the feedback they've received in season one. And if they do take it in a different direction in season two and explore these depths, like we're talking about now, because like you said earlier, All of these things that make up a healthy sexual relationship are far more interesting to me than the typical um, uninformed, perhaps toxic uh, sexual relationship that these characters have. I think there's a lot of nuance involved in this bigger conversation that could easily be very entertaining and also at the same time educational um, and accurate. to people that are watching the show.
2: I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think there's so much opportunity because they already do such a great job of opening up that lens of female sexuality. And I think there are just a couple of points in that, a few in the series where there was so much opportunity. For example, all Simon had to do after that assault scene was maybe to have expressed something about his resistance around it. And that could have been a really... Sort of inspiring uh, point for men to be like okay this i can also experience sexual assault and that's okay and that's and, and that that can happen um there are a lot of teachable moments that i feel were were there there's the opportunity and then they were missed so i do hope to see that in the second season um and to inspire and to, to have those you know healthy conversations role models for example A little bit better, but maybe it just wouldn't make us good TV.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. But if there's one thing that we've seen, it's, it's like you said, you know, the female gaze is unfortunately something that we don't see enough in, uh, depicted in film and television. And yet Bridgerton has succeeded in doing that and making it entertaining. So it's like you said, there are these teachable moments where it's like, Oh, you were so close. Like, no, 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 don't brush it under the rug. Like, this is really interesting. Like, just just, You don't have to like spend like a 45 minutes or to an hour talking about this one topic, but you can address it and just throw it in there. That's going to, in my opinion, and I'm not a screenwriter, like you can add more dimension to these characters by just giving a little bit more of a nod um, to these, these moments that are very real. Um, So we're in complete agreement on that. I, I, I would love to have seen, as you said, like a moment where Simon follows up with her about that. And it really didn't have to be anything longer than like five minutes, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes I question the reason why these shows, what the point of bringing in such gratuitous sex scenes are, if not to educate the audience. Like I would hate for, it to be a source of, oh, well, it just draws in more viewers, right? Because it's saucy and titillating. Um, and I feel like it's the responsibility of filmmakers and, and TV producers to to use that, like the like the TV show Sex Education, which I thought was fantastic. Um, they actually had a um, a sex expert come in and to advise them on the show. So I'd be curious actually to know if Bridgerton had one of those um, to help to, yeah, bring alive those issues in, into the series.
1: Now, Ben you
0: mentioned that they did have an they had an intimacy coordinator yeah they had an intimacy coordinator my understanding is that that person's job is to make the um, sex scenes as filmed more comfortable for the actors and yes to some degree portray sex in a certain way but my understanding of that role and maybe Hanini knew more but is that it's more sort of like oh this is for the actors and and for filming rather than like oh this is how we're gonna portray like sex in the show so i would um related kind of to um like how they would block fights um or like do stunts it's sort of like oh we have a person who's an expert in this to like make sure we do it safely and everyone is consenting and that sort of thing where i think the line stops and where i think it's different to sex education uh the show is that I don't think there's someone on set being like, "Oh, these are the messages that we're trying to to get across." I think that has to come at at a higher level, and I think the industry has made um, improvements, particularly in a like post me to world of how of making it safe for the performers on set, and I think that's like a good first responsibility. But I agree with both of you in terms of like taking that a step further and being like, "Okay, well, like and you were saying earlier, like you're." Uh, sort of early, early sexual experiences was watching like like movies and TV shows and and associating like that and I'm thinking of there's been like almost 80 million people who've seen this show um so there's there's a bunch of like young people out, out there watching this um and, and internalizing it and I think that it would be nice to be providing positive messages or, or more positive messages and i'm I'm curious and like say you know this podcast goes super viral and you get a call to be the, uh, a sort of advisor or expert for, for season two of Bridgerton, like what sort of things would you want to put in place to, uh, make it, uh, uh, more educational, but also entertaining, uh, season two?
2: Yes. Ooh, yummy question. Um, the first thing that came to mind was to flip the stereotypical, sort of portrayals of sex, right? And how it's very male led. And I would get Daphne to be a lot more empowered and proactive in her conversations and her um, her initiation of sex, potentially, um, to be more experimental, to show sex in a light that is a little bit more clumsy, actually, um, because I think there were so many steamy sex scenes. And often the honeymoon period is kind of characterized by that, oh my God, we're like fucking like bunnies and it's out in the rain and the thunderstorms on the staircase and it's all really exciting. But it's not all like that. Like sex is really awkward. (laughs) So I would definitely put more of those scenes in there. I don't know if it would make, and I think viewers can relate to that too. So I don't think it would make it bad TV. Um, I would also, what would I also put in there? Um, Far more healthier, conversations um content wise I can appreciate that some people that you know the the conversations might start off um flared up and there's a lot of conflict but I would definitely maybe have conversations even about sex itself between the two of them talking about what they like and what they don't like maybe I'm taking that too far but I think that's a huge piece everyone thinks oh sex comes really naturally and we just know each other's body just like that without even talking about it and i'd love to get some i'd love to hear some more dialogue in bridgerton about what's really erotic i was
1: going to say to your earlier point um you use the word clumsy which i love because it's relatable and i think in film and television there are some times where people and I'm sure there are, there's plenty of people like us that watch this show with this caveat that like, okay, let's remember like this is entertainment and it's not necessarily realistic. But there is, for me personally, when I see characters that are relatable, uh, I'm entertained by that as well. And I want to continue to watch things like that. Sometimes people watch these things and they idolize things that they can't relate to as if that they they need to achieve that but the idea of sex being clumsy which it absolutely is and can be and and can also be very sexy and, and and glossy as well there are i would love to see a sex scene where like they you know forget where they put their underwear or they you know what I mean? We're like, or one of them has to get their socks off or they're
0: having a hard time untying their shoes. Robbie, do you remember in uh we were talking about it in a prior episode on their, I think it was on their wedding night where they're in the inn. Yeah, and he's got his boots on. He has boots on. And then, so he's wearing his like proper riding boots and then they cut and then suddenly his like boots are off. And Robbie was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, well, the reason they didn't show that is because if you ever wore in riding, riding boots, they're incredibly hard to take off. Um, and as someone who, I don't wear riding boots that often, but I wear sort of like tight jeans and like trying to like get those off can be a little, but like, I think, and again, there's like, there's nothing like sexier to me than someone just being confident and owning that and being like, yep, like that's the parallels off, looking mm-hmm. great or whatever. And just kind of like shrugging that off and going with it. I think that can be a great like yeah. comedic and if done right, like sexy moment.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be embarrassing. And I think, um, you know, uh, to Hanine's point, uh, this whole uh, overarching point which is there is se- it, it can sex you can be confident and comfortable Co- being comfortable is also sexy and um can put your partner at ease right and so this idea of just being like yep these are these pants are too tight or something like that without even having to say that you know it's like it certainly can put another person at ease you know um, I would have loved to seen that, I mean, and they could do that they're they 're writers they 're Hollywood writers, you know like they can they can do that and they can do it in a way that is unique and never done before.
2: I completely agree, I think if we could just have more examples of where that where sex is clumsy, I think it would give us more permission to not adhere to this completely impossible standard really of like what sex should be, and I think having good sex to me is actually about taking risks that it might go wrong to go off script to play and that might mean you take you know a reverse you know u-turn um that you might get it wrong that it might be unpleasant um and we're so sort of afraid of not being this perfect sexy wonderful formulaic sex um experience that we forget to be creative we forget to be riskier and and play around with potential types of touch and dirty talk that might not be well received, but without doing that, yeah. How do we like, that's, that's real sex to me. It's about the erotic. It's about the imagination.
1: You know, one of the things too, on the show that I found interesting that as we've been talking about this uh, is Daphne exploring her sexuality, reaching, a climax and and having an orgasm um you know while we're kind of spitballing and brainstorming here too it, it, it occurred to me that she everybody's different obviously but I'm, I'm curious from like from your point of view to me it seems like there's also an opportunity there to talk about how the orgasm works for the female because the way they portray it it looks like it's it's they're exactly the same or simon Reaches an orgasm the same way that she does, and as some of us, and as you know very well, like they're they're it's very nuanced and and different.
2: Yeah, big topic, orgasms. I first of all, yeah, I feel quite passionately about the fact that so there is an orgasm gap, right? So a lot of when I say that, I mean that men will come say ninety percent of the time, women perhaps four four out of 10 times during penetrative sex. It's quite rare for that to happen. Um, it's usually through the, through clitoral stimulation. And it would certainly be very rare to be orgasming the first time you masturbate. Like to, to show it as easy as that um, felt unrealistic to me. Um, so I think firstly, a message to sort of show, as you say, it is really, really nuanced. And I actually really liked the fact that um, Simon... That there were masturbation scenes, or rather that he guided her hand towards her clitoris during one of the scenes, um, which I thought was a really nice kind of uh, nod to how women, you know, need that clitoral stimulation to feel good. And he also goes down on her on the staircase, and there's a whole oral sex scene. Um, And I think those are more likely to result in an orgasm, but certainly not any kind of simultaneous. Kind of idealistic representation of it. you should have a simultaneous orgasm together. That is so rare. I've never experienced that. In fact, I rarely yeah. orgasm during sex. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I just want to say that's, yeah, so normal. So I would have, um, I would just caution people to be aware of that when they're watching it.
1: I can see how watching something like that, the, the thought process goes from, you know, uh, somebody who has a partner. A sexual partner is watching a show like this, and immediately, because it's in our nature, is to compare, is to compare their relationship to what they see on screen, and that's just the one of the uh, seductive and uh, pitfalls of of entertainment is that we have a hard time. Uh, we we get so immersed in these characters and these stories and these worlds that we forget that they're fictional and and like you just said like i have uh, in my own experience and through talking to other people uh the uh, the idea that these two people would have an orgasm at the same time is like i don't know how often i've heard about that you know i only see that
0: in television or in in film definitely well haneen look thank you so much um robbie and i have talked a a lot of nonsense uh, the past few episodes I think our listeners will be pleasantly surprised to actually learn something this week uh, I certainly have um, if like us you've been uh, charmed by Hanine, you can check out more of what she does at uh, sexhomeworksociety.com we will put that in the show notes of the of the podcast Hanine, thank you so much for, for joining us thanks Hanine. hi well there you have it another episode of a Bridgerton podcast simply marvellous as ever Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app and tell a friend. Until next time, ta-ta!